Welcome, Abundant Life, to my home. This is uh, Glenn Pizine. I've been an elder with y'all for a couple of years. For those of you that don't know me, it's a pleasure to meet you. For those that I have not seen in quite some time, welcome. Uh, just glad to have you in the, the front living room here. Um, unfortunately, Kelly isn't here today. She has to be out and about with friends and family. Um, she is my better half, so I was hoping that y'all get to see with her. She could at least get a wave in, but um, she's just not here. So she wishes everyone well. Can't wait for us all to get back together. And uh, the both of us are just hoping that this message finds uh, the majority of you in an okay place, uh, safe and sound. We are in the midst of some tremendous uncertainty. And um, I just pray that uh, the God of peace would be with you during this time. On that note, I'm hoping today's word, one that I think is inspired by God, will truly touch your heart as it's touched mine. Um, we're going to be talking about a couple of things that I think are going to hit home. Um, and I should preface that if you see any new animals running around our house in the middle of this message, please excuse that. We adopted a couple of kittens about two months ago. Um, they have brought a ton of joy during this COVID time. Uh, they are full of energy, full of love, and uh, it's just been such a blessing for them to be in this house. So if they do happen to interrupt, let's just keep going on as if they're not here. I apologize in advance. Okay, so hard to believe we're approaching Q4 of 2020, right? I'm sure some of you are cheering on 2021, or if not the majority of you. I know we have been in this house. I know many other friends of ours have been cheering on 2021. Let's flush 2020 and move on. I can't say that I wouldn't agree with you more. But I think there's some key things we need to uncover right now about what God is saying to us in 2020 so that when 2021 does hit, we're not left in the dust. We're not forgetting what he wanted to show us now. And we're not coming to the table too late, if you know what I mean, because of what he wants us to learn now to take into 2021. Okay, so during this time, I have been studying what does the genuine pursuit of God look like in these times? Are these times entirely unique? Is history repeating itself? What's really going on, Lord? What are we supposed to be doing right now? What can we be doing right now? Um, where, do you, where are you working and where do you want us to join you in that work? I think these are key questions that come to mind that we ought to be pondering deeply about. So as I pondered them over the last, I'd say, month or so, God has brought to mind mostly what can Christian leaders do to ensure God's people are ready for what's next on his agenda. Look, I have a wonderful opportunity here in the Bay Area to serve with some of the Bay Area tech smartest people in the world. Um, I have been blessed by God's grace and his mercy to leave Orange County at a very young age with a hope and a dream of making it in San Francisco, ending up in the Palo Alto area, and then being surrounded by some of, again, like I've mentioned, the Bay Area's best tech leaders. Uh, I'm grateful for that. And why I say this to you is not to toot my horn, no. Merely to tell you that I believe if you were to pull them today or ask them in a lunch meeting, one-on-one, -on -one, over a video conference, what is it that leaders must have today? What are those characteristic traits? What's the number one thing? And I will tell you, I think the first thing they'll say to you is leaders must learn how to say no to falsehoods, embrace the truth, and bring to us reality. What is the reality of the situation today? That's what we as leaders, all of us are leaders by the way, that's what we're brought to bring, reality. So we're gonna talk about reality in a minute. With that in mind, I've titled this message or my study, if you will, Small Changes Deliver Radical Results 
which lead to foreverlasting change. Small changes deliver radical results, which lead to foreverlasting change. So as we go into Q4, the question the Holy Spirit continually brings to mind is this. What does saying no to falsehoods, embracing the truth, and looking like Christ, living like Christians look like right now? No to falsehoods, embrace the truth, and living like Christians. So with that, what I'd like to, with that, what I'd like to do is read um, some scripture from David in Psalm 25, 110, where I believe when we start to question the Lord of what are we to do right now? What are we to do right now? How are we supposed to act? How do we say no to falsehoods? I believe David nails it when he cries out to the Lord with this. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Number one, lift up my soul. I outstretch my arms, he says. Oh, my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimony. Fun of life, I am praying that we keep his covenant and his testimonies and experience the Lord's steadfast love and faithfulness because it says he will lead us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And we need to believe that. We need to believe that. It's right here. It's right here. So let me open up, open us up and pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather here today um, in this living room that uh, you have provided, Lord, so abundantly and graciously. I pray for the many people who are watching uh, right now, Lord, that uh, you would speak a word into their hearts, minds, and souls, that they would leave watching uh, this changed, uh, inspired, equipped, and empowered to go out and take small actions that will lead to radical results and ultimately foreverlasting change. I pray that you would give me a word right now, Lord, that you would remove uh, any fleshly desires I have to take control of this message, and that your spirit would fill this atmosphere in this place right now. It would take over. It would lead. I surrender all of this unto you today, Lord, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, I'm going to say some things that I, I don't think a lot of you would disagree with right now in, in terms of the state of the state. Um, you know, when we look at uh, what's going on today, the state of the church, the upcoming election, uh, the spiritual state of our country as a whole, um, sensationalism, social media, I mean, the beat goes on. It just does. A lot of uncertainty, a lot of unrest. Frankly, I, I, somewhat, I sometimes find it mind-numbing, mind-numbing. But what I'd like to do despite all that is, is as I mentioned earlier, one, take a swing at defining reality. Uh, two, share some warnings about 
ways of thinking that could prevent us from discovering and living out God's will. And, and three, then just presenting a game plan to us on how to trust God and live like Christians in the world right now. Um, and, and I got to ask, I mean, who wouldn't want to bring light, hope, peace, and encouragement to everything that's going on right now? I know I do personally. I'd love to. So we need help, though, from the Lord and the Holy Spirit. Um, but before we dive in, let's really look at the state of state of things right now. What is the state of the state, right? Let's define what reality is. Uh, schools. Big questions right now looming. Many of my friends are struggling with what to do. Are they going to open? When will they open? Which schools will open? Which schools won't open? Um, will I have to end up homeschooling going forward? What happens if we both have full-time jobs and we end up going back to the office but schools don't open? Um, how is this going to impact our relationship with our kids, with each other? What about my work? Uh, are we ever going to go back to work? Um, I mean, these are legit questions, right? And we have been facing them for coming up on seven months. And uh, I'm not sure about you, but it has felt like a long time to wait for some answers. And um, I don't know if we're ever going to get answers that we want. And it's going to be a while before we see a lot of these answers come to fruition, I think. Um, I mean, are we ever going to go back to an office? Um, will being remote be forever in the future? Uh, I look at Siemens and they just came out with an announcement that says our employees can work remote forever going forward. No need to come to an office. How is that going to trickle down into some of the corporations we work for here with Google and Facebook and uh, others? Um, I mean, these again are, are, are legit questions. Um, look, the, what I'm get, trying to get across is there's some serious stuff happening right now. A lot of very serious implications. Um, as an example, David Marino of Hughes Marino, which is a very successful commercial real estate firm down in San Diego, said this. Most companies have realized that they can work effectively remotely, but some employees actually like it. Keyword, some. Office tenants contemplating the future requirements are going to be leasing less space than they have now. This could create a ballooning supply starting this summer. A surplus that would make the tech wreck of 2000 and the Great Recession of 2008 and 2009 look like a rounding error. Major implications. He goes on to say this is going to be much more like the early 90s when we had the savings and loan crisis and overdevelopment of office buildings and foreclosures. Radical implications, right? What about the economy? I mean, I'm watching arguments on YouTube about the Dow versus crypto and which one's going to get to 40,000 first. I mean, while, the, while we're in, you know, trillions and trillions of dollars of debt, uh, unemployment is sky high. We've got folks arguing about the Dow and crypto getting to 40K first, which, by the way, is a significant amount from where they're both at today. What happens if they never come back? What happens if the stock market never comes back? What happens if the economy never comes back? I mean, it could all come crashing down, right? It could. What, what happens? I mean, I look at politics, too. Um, I mean, historic times right now. We've got more division than I've ever seen. All you got to do is scroll through Facebook. And friends of many, many years have stopped talking to each other because of political views, because of their love of uh, their hatred of one person versus their love of this country. Blows me away. Um, we've got it fighting within party 
not just amongst parties. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. And you've got folks actually saying on one side of the fence, you can't be a Christian if you vote this way because of that belief. And look, there's a ton of uncertainty and fighting going right now. Um, we're seeing division amongst the church. Hey, we need to be open. Hey, we don't need to be open. Hey, this is how we need to do it. This is how we don't need to do it. And let's take a look at conferences and events and weddings and funerals. And what are they going to look like going forward? Seriously, what are they going to look like? I mean, my mom for the last four or five years has been a traveling tour guide. She's a subcontractor to these large touring companies. And her life has been turned upside down as a result of this. There's no more touring. There's going to be nothing till at least the middle of next year at the earliest. Again, major, major implications that are going on right now in all of our lives. Um, I mean, two weeks ago, I, I had a client call me that said, look, I've got a project that I'd like you to consider for this online ticket broker company. And if I said the name, many of you would know this ticket broker company. He said, but the one thing I want you to consider before you sign on to take the project is, I'm not sure how much capital they're going to have or when they'll run out of capital. So maybe you want to think twice. So major ticket broker potentially going out of business here shortly. Major implications. This is what I'm trying to get across. Why do I keep talking about these things? Because the state of the state is ugly, it's uncertain, and it has major implications on our life. I mean, what about another wave of the virus? What do we do? How is it going to be handled in church? What about work? What if hundreds of thousands of people get sick? I mean, 25% of church folks have stopped watching video online. Is something that I read recently. You know, so what started out decent has become pretty easy to walk away from. I think we're just mentally numbing, right, ourselves and tired of being on video. Again, the point I'm making is major implications, right? Um, and lastly, you know, what about violence? How do we protect ourselves from some of the stuff we're seeing on TV, where people who are innocently having dinner are bombarded by protesters who are enforcing their violent will upon them to leave the restaurant, to get up in fear and run. Um, we're defunding police all across the country. And whether you agree with me or not, that's not the point. What do we do to protect ourselves in the future? These are questions that continue to come up. And as I mentioned before, the bottom line is this. We are living in very uncertain times, the most uncertain I've ever seen in my life, and many of us who are with me right now. The impact of what we just mentioned, they have not just local implications, but global implications, big deals. What we need right now more than anything, more than anything, is to clearly understand this as Christians. This is the reality that God has brought us to. And in that reality, I believe we will find a defining missionary or missional, whatever you want to call it, moment. We are and always should be on mission to live for Christ, right? That's what he says. But it's very easy to get lost in the comfort of what we have here in the Silicon Valley and forget about being on mission. Remember what Paul wrote in Philippians 1.21? He says, for me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Whew, that is home. 
Do we live like that? To live as Christ, to die as gain. Like, do I wake up tomorrow morning saying, if I'm living fully for Christ and I die, that's a gain? I don't know. It hurts. We need to be on mission. It's our command. Here's what I want you to leave with today. Our life as we knew it has been turned upside down. Your life, your family, your children's lives, our church, our work. Christian, nearly everything has changed and will change. But in that change, we're going to find a mission moment. That's the reality. So let us no more be accepting of falsehoods. This is a very serious time, and the implications, global implications, are life-changing. Let me give you one example. Five months ago, I'm helping a colleague move. And as... Um, my manager at the time and I are driving behind her to unload a load of furniture that we had loaded up to her new place. He looks at me and he says, you know, Glenn, I, I'm really looking at this COVID time in a different way. It's history. This is gonna be in history books. This is gonna be in history lessons. This is gonna be taught in school. And you know what I'm gonna say to my kids? I lived in it. I experienced it. This is how it revolutionized and radically changed the world. And I just started to sit there and go like, wow, that's heavy. Those implications are deep and wide. It's, this isn't some blip on the map. This isn't just some like reflex where we'll shake it off and move on. This is heavy, global, lifelong implications and change. Okay. Now that I've mentioned that, I bet you're asking, Okay, Glenn, so what do we do? How do I live like Jesus said? I mean, the future looks daunting to me. You just laid out a lot of stuff, and it's not pretty. Huh. It's scary. It's ugly. So what do we do? What do I do? Here's the good news. Good news. God wants to lead us, you, in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal that to you right now, because that is truth. And despite reality being what it is, that's also reality, and that's going to speak right into it. God wants to reveal its paths to you right now for his name's sake. So what do we do after we define reality? As I mentioned earlier, I want to take a stab at this, show you some warnings that I think could prevent us from experiencing God's will, some wrong ways of thinking. Warning number one, don't buy into this overly optimistic hype, or as I say, reject the magic pill way of thinking. There won't be an easy and fast solution. There won't. We're not going to bounce back tomorrow with a snap of a finger. As an example, vaccine, we see it's being worked on. I hear a lot of people saying, well, as soon as the vaccine hits, we'll get a vaccine, they'll get a vaccine, the whole world will get a vaccine, we're right back to normal. That's overly optimistic. It really is. 
Um, the economy, once the election is done, despite who gets in, we're going to bounce back. Dow will bounce back. Crypto will bounce back. It'll be just like it was before we got hit with the coronavirus in March here in the U.S. As I mentioned, Christians, we're living in a time where we are more vulnerable to that way of thinking and the enemy than ever before. We want solutions now, don't we? And that's the world we live in. Everything's like now. But I'll tell you, when it becomes about the basic elements of need for the human lifestyle, food, shelter, comfort, it's a dangerous place to be because we give our minds over to the simplistic way of thinking in return for food, shelter, comfort. Now hear me, I'm not saying we don't keep praying for that. I'm not saying we don't keep praying for this country, for our families, for our churches, and for a revival. I'm saying let's look out for the falsehoods that are gonna come preaching to us and promising us such things. That's what I'm saying. Because we'll have a temptation to be led in that direction to buy into falsehoods and to let go of the truth that Jesus Christ brings in his word. That leads to destruction, Christian. So let's be on guard. So number one, don't buy into overly optimistic hype. Number two, don't simplify complex problems. Well, if we just get rid of this group, then everything's going to be fine. If I was just to take care of A, B, and C, DEF would work out perfectly. We're in a season where it is easy to fall trap or victim to that narrative. I've heard it in the pulpit. I've seen it online. I've heard it in conversations. We are living in a version of America Christian where justification of our personal feelings far outweigh the truth of God's word. We need to get that. We need to understand that. We need to put on the full armor of God. And it starts with getting it. Most Christians don't know the Bible very well today. Most will let personal feelings outweigh the truth of Scripture. Most Christians will accept things that diametrically oppose what Scripture says. We need to be in prayer. I've never seen anything like it. And I think furthermore, the most scary thing is they'll justify their stance. We need to be very careful about a simplistic way of thinking or solving complex problems in simple ways. There is no silver bullet. And this will not change quickly. It won't change quickly. We are seeing the culmination of events happen right before us. I mean, I, I always use the analogy of, it amazes me how far you end up when you go for a run. You start at point A, you get to point B, and if you're a marathon runner, that could be 26 miles. You know, you never look back at the 25th mile and say, how did I get here? You remember every single mile along the way to unwind all of those miles, to go back to start at mile one, it doesn't happen with a snap of a finger. It doesn't happen just like that. You gotta go all the way back. My point is this, this change, it won't happen quickly. We are experiencing a 
culmination of what we have been sowing over the course of many years. So we need to do a 180 degree turn. We need to run that marathon after making that turn. Small change leads to radical change and forever lasting, forever lasting. Radical results for everlasting change, excuse me. Warning number one, don't buy into overly optimistic hype. Warning number two, don't simplify complex problems. Warning number three, stop the victim mentality. What do I mean by that? I can't do anything, Elder Glenn. I'm one person. There's no possible way I can influence anything. I have no options. I can't vote. If I do vote, you know, it's just not gonna make a difference. I can't change anything. I get it. It feels that way. Admittedly, there's been many years I've sat back and just watched the world go by with my opinions and not done anything. Because I felt powerless. I'm just going to hunker down and worry about number one. I mean, that's who I need to look out for, right? Me, my family, my world, our kids, our lives, my resources. Mine, 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 mine. Sorry, every time I say that, I think of finding Nemo. Mine, mine, mine. <laughs> Verse. Um, and I get you can't change everything, right? But don't get so caught up in your own mind, mind, mind world that you get paralyzed and, and, and not do anything. Because honestly, you can do something. You can absolutely do something. And I'm going to walk through how. Back to the free warnings. Don't buy into overly optimistic hype. Don't simplify complex problems. Stop with the victim mentality. You can do something. Okay, with that in mind, why don't we seek the perspective of God for a minute? Let's start looking at scripture for answers. And let's look to Jesus. What can we do right now? You've defined reality. You've told us about some warnings. So what do we do now? Has there ever been a time like this in history that I can kind of relate to and leverage or learn from to, to go out and be what you're calling me to be, Jesus? As I look back to the first century, the time when Jesus came, I think you're going to see a ton of parallels in, in Scripture, really, as to what was going on then, as to what's happening now. As we see in Galatians 4.4, right? This word says, but when the fullness of God had come, catch this, in the midst of uncertainty at that time, just like now, God did what? God sent forth his son. I mean, this time in the first century, when God came, Jesus came, this was a time of political struggle. Tremendous struggle. The Romans were on the move. There was massive division among races. Jews, Gentiles, Romans. I mean, extreme socioeconomic inequality. In fact, I think 80% of the Romans were slaves. Slaves had no rights. Slaves could be murdered for no reason at all. Women had no rights. If you just look at society, brutality, it was, it was, it was on the highest, it was off the charts. We were ravenous people with tons of chaos, huge uncertainty, major socioeconomic inequality. Does any of this sound familiar? It does to me. And so I'm grateful that the Lord would reveal that when he sent Jesus, then, it was much like what we're experiencing now. 
Take heart, Christian. Take heart. If you look at the family during that time, that too was a monstrosity. I mean, men had wife at home for the purposes of carrying on the, basically the lineage of their name. Uh, typically, they'd have a mistress on the side. They would visit places they shouldn't be to do rude and lewd acts. Um, again, some of this is, is hard to swallow and it sounds familiar. I guess the point that I'm making here is the world has always been corrupt, then and now. But what I want to say is this is where we need to take heart and know that God was sent into the world in the midst of the corruption that we were seeing then, and he's ready to send them back into the midst of the corruption that we're seeing now. Praise God for that. So the question is, if that's the case, what does it look like to live like Jesus, like he did when he entered the world at that time? What was his game plan? What did the church do? In the answers to these questions, I find clarity in what we're to do right now, and I'm hoping you do too. So first point of clarity. What did Jesus do when he entered the world then? First thing, he called people back to himself, right? He clarified how to love God. He came to explain the Father. We see this in John 1.17, for law was given through Moses, but grace and truth, they came through Jesus Christ, through me. I'm here to clarify that while the law was given through Moses, grace and truth and love come through me. Brings people back to himself. What we see him do then is he walks the walk, right? One of my favorite pastors of all time is Francis Chan. The man walks the walk. Jesus walked the walk. We need Christians who walk the walk. We see him modeling live and direct with the disciples and the people of that time. What it is like to love through grace and truth. He showed what it looked like. He wasn't giving seminars. He wasn't giving webinars. He wasn't going around saying, give me this $1,000 fee and I'll give you three days of how to be more like me. No, he lived it out, walked the walk, and more was caught than was taught. We see him going to communities and he lives with them. We see him demonstrating how to live. Again, we see the Lord teaching us how to live. And then what does he do? He sends out his disciples two by two. He empowers them with the Holy Spirit. And he says, go, make disciples of all the nations. Spread the gospel. I came to the world by how? Making small changes. How did he come in? Look, small changes. He didn't come in and take Rome down or overthrow the government or do some radical things. He came in and made small changes. Right? And these small changes, as I just outlined, that led to him changing the world. So first things first, Jesus he brought people back to himself. Then he brought us back to the basics. He spoke to us, God's people, and he said this. First commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Remember Psalm 25, 5, Lord, lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation, for you I wait all day long. 
That are the words, or those are the words of someone who fulfills the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. The second commandment, he says, is love your neighbor as yourself. You know what's interesting is we immediately see in Luke 1, the lawyer asks, well, who's my neighbor? I think that sounds like a lot of us right now. Well, we know what we ought, or not ought to be doing, but should be doing according to those commands. We really don't want to love our neighbor because it requires work. Um, you know, we deflect it with questions, much like the lawyer. What does that look like right now? We find ways not to get involved. I mean, it's just easier, right? I love how Jesus answers our question, though, of what does that look like to love your neighbor more? He says in a parable to the Good Samaritan, as you know. To the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan. Who acted as the neighbor in this parable? And the lawyer answered, the one who showed him mercy. So he brings us back to basics, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor. How do you do that? Show mercy. I mean, time and time again, Jesus helps them and us understand that loving God is all about loyalty to God. Loyalty to his word and God's agenda. If I look at God's agenda, it says, go out and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And when he talks about loyalty to God, it says, Proverbs 9, 10, fearing the Lord is where wisdom begins. Reverence for Jesus binds us to God. And if you look at what Christ did on earth, he gave everything, everything we need, and he outpoured himself to everyone with his time on earth. He was fully committed to the fulfillment of his mission. In fact, he says, it is better that I go, so much so, to fulfill my mission, that I will leave behind for you, as John 14 says, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, who will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So Jesus left what? Us behind to be the light of the world. Me, you, those who call him Lord. He says, abide in me, I abide in you. With me, you can do all things. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So this is where we realize, with him I can do all things. I've been called to be the light of the world. Jesus is giving me his Holy Spirit. He's actually showing me exactly what I ought to be doing and how I need to be living. Let me give you one example of um, how Jesus... Uh, has helped me to love our neighbor and how it's opened up some things. Because as he says, love your neighbor as yourself, I think he's imploring us to take small actions that will lead to the radical change that will start in our neighborhoods, our communities, our schools, the U.S., the world. Um, the calling is straightforward. Love me with all your mind and therefore love your neighbor as yourselves. Christian, if we follow this command under the authority of the Holy Spirit, we will see radical change. As I said, not just here, but across the globe. Back to that example of helping my neighbor. I'm outside uh, bringing my trash cans up. Neighbors uh, say, hey, Glenn, can you come on over? We need your help moving a piece of furniture. It's too heavy for us. 
It's very hot in the morning. It was sort of humid. It has been, as y'all know, the last couple of weeks. Uh, and they have this very big entertainment center. And while they only wanted to shuffle it to the corner of the room, uh, I knew that the better thing to do would be able to take it out of the room and put it out on the sidewalk to be removed by the government. And so I uh, didn't realize how heavy this piece was and awkward it was to just get a hold of it. After about 45 minutes, I ended up actually moving it outside. Sweat was just pouring off my face. And I didn't do it for any other reason but to love my neighbor. It was easy. God just does that when you step out in faith and say, okay, show me where. And uh, the gratitude that they expressed was overwhelming. And a week went by, and as I'm coming home from work, they flagged me down and said, hey, come over, come over. Look, look, we can't thank you enough for helping us move the furniture. And to which I said, it's no big deal, it's fine. And they said, would you come over this week with Kelly? We'd really like to uh, have you over to watch a movie and do dinner with us. And I thought, you know, I've been here, this house, close to seven years. That was one of the first invitations we've had for dinner. And it made me kind of think, what would happen if we went around our neighborhood and house by house loved on our neighbors? What if we stop worrying about our lives and all the things we're so hung up on? Me, 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 and my world and my family. And we just said, I'm going to love my neighbors this week in a certain way. What have we been missing out on as a result of not loving our neighbors? I'll tell you, I've been missing out on that fellowship. I can't wait to go over there for dinner and watch a movie and it's another story. And furthermore, who knows what God wants to do in their lives. So my question for you this week is, what is God calling you to take action this week? Where? Is it a hot meal delivered to a single mom who's trying to balance life and work? Uh, is it a, an elderly person who really can't cook meals for themselves? Is it a widow? Um, maybe it's a couple whose marriage you found is, is on the fringe. Um, maybe someone's struggling with addiction and they need support right now. Maybe a pastor who's feeling beat up, discouraged, and could really use some encouragement right now. Where is God calling you to love on them? And how is he calling you to take action? I'm telling you, Christian, the outward expression of Christ's spirit in us, that will be the very way by which we see the world change. If you abide in me, I'll abide in you, and nothing is impossible, he says. So we need to fight with prayer. We need to take action. We need to fight against the spiritual forces because, remember, we don't battle flesh and blood. Ephesians 6 says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So let that truth lead us into getting an accurate view of who we are in the name of God and who we're battling. So some things up, this leads to what? As I mentioned earlier, defining reality of where we're at today, identifying the potential pitfalls and warnings that we need to be aware of, and three, the hope that we have in Jesus to be on mission, to love him with all of our heart, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We have a great opportunity before us, I truly believe this, Amidst this chaos and change, God stands supporting us through his word and his truth and through Jesus, 
on how to live and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So I want to close with these scriptures about God's love for us. I think it's critical we understand and we have a clear, accurate view of who God is in our lives, what he says about us, because if we don't, it makes it nearly impossible to love our neighbor as ourselves. We must love ourselves first, and that comes through a clear, accurate view of who God says we are. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. And this is what I love. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And if that doesn't tie directly into plans to give you a hope and a future, I don't know what does. So let's not wait. Let's get after him. Let's be on a mission of getting after him and loving our neighbor. Because that awaits. 29.11 Jeremiah. 12.2 Romans. Good, perfect, pleasing will. And let me leave you this with this. Second Chronicles 69 says this, God, the eyes of the Lord, God, they are moving to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. Christian, what you believe about God says how you will respond to your neighbors. So I pray that you develop an accurate view. I pray that you be encouraged by this message to go out and love on somebody this week and that those small changes would lead to radical results and forever lasting change. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to gather with you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. He brings you back, or us back, to himself. He then shows us how he led his people during that time, in times of crisis, from uncertainty to certainty. He shows us how we ought to live by way of example, by way of truth. I just pray this week that we would spend more time with you than ever before, that our number one focus would be on Jesus on mission. Lord, reveal to those who seek you, as you say you search to and fro, what your will is, how you're going to support them, who in their lives are going to uplift them and encourage and empower them to go to new heights. And Lord, we will acknowledge you in all of our ways. We thank you for this time to gather. We thank you that, Lord, we find certainty in your word and in your name in times of uncertainty. We thank you that you are going to deliver us from all of this and that one day we will be with you regardless of these circumstances. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Abundant Life, for letting me spend this time with you. Um, I'm uh, looking forward to, uh, to chatting with all of you. I've got a couple calls on with all of you this week and, and hearing from you. All right, God bless and take care.